Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the Up Next in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the Up Next in Commerce team. The hypothesis was that if we bring this product category to the U.S. and position it more as a beauty product, that it could do well. And so for us, the easiest way to test out that hypothesis was on a platform like Amazon. We said, let's see if people buy it. If people buy it, then we'll work on phase two, which would be launching a DTC channel. How to succeed on Amazon is a mystery that many D2C brands have tried and failed to solve. There are tricks to winning on the mega e-commerce site. Tricks that no one tells you about when you first put your product up for sale in the Amazon jungle. That's why we invited Ju Ru onto the show. There were a lot of things that Ju wished she had known before she and her co-founders decided to launch Hero Cosmetics on Amazon. Things like what is brand gating and how do you win the buy box? And what do you do about counterfeit products that pop up right when you start to have a little success? Ju answered all these questions and learned so much more as she grew Hero into one of the buzziest skincare brands on the market, which went from zero to $1 million in one year and now sells on its website and on Amazon, but is also featured in retailers like Target, Madewell, CVS Pharmacy, and more. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Ju spills the beans on what it takes to win big on Amazon and how you can level up from there. Enjoy this episode. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Hi, everyone. It's Stephanie. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Hello, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder at mission.org. Today on the show, we have Ju Ru, the co-founder and CEO of Hero Cosmetics. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited that you took the time to call in from Paris. Feels so fancy when I say Paris. Maybe you're like, this is normal for me, but you feel fancy. (laughs) Yeah, it's always a fun fact that I tell people, oh, by the way, I live in Paris. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about Hero. I would love to hear the founding story of how you started it. I mean, it has tons of news coverage and I was reading so many different stories. And I want to hear from you, though, about how you came to found it. Yeah. I mean, the story is I was living in Korea. I was working there as an expat in Seoul, South Korea, and I was suffering from adult acne. I don't know exactly what was causing it. Maybe could have been the changing in, change in environment, the lower air quality, change in lifestyle, or maybe stress. I'm not sure. But I was really frustrated because I kept breaking out and it was always just hard for me to find a solution that worked for me. But in Korea, I noticed a lot of people walking around with uh, these acne patches on their faces. 
So I got really curious. I went to a pharmacy, I bought some, and then I was just amazed at how well it worked because it sucked everything out. It protected me from touching the area and picking at it. It was really gentle on my skin. And then I immediately started wondering why I was learning about it then and not like 15 years ago and why it wasn't more available in the US. So uh, I did some research and then, you know, that's when the idea of like, hey, I should make this available in the US. I think people would really like it. That's so cool. I mean, it seems like Korea, all the beauty trends right now are coming from there. Everything when it yes. comes to double cleansing and, you know, like you're mentioning the, the patches. 12, and, yeah, the 12 step yeah. regimen. Yeah. Yes. I tried to follow the 12 step or 12 step regimen and I'll, I got a little overwhelmed. I'm like, oh, man, this is a lot to clean yeah. my face. Right. Very cool. So you, you found this product in Korea. What did you do next? Like, how did you have the idea? Because a lot of people find other products in other countries. I know I at least have, where yes. I'm like, oh, this tea brand's really good. Or, you know, oh, this hammock is really good, whatever it may be. But I don't always think like, I'm going to bring this back to the States and do this. So like, what were your next steps? Why was this the product that you wanted to bring back and start? Well, I, first of all, for me, it solved a real problem that uh, I was struggling, that I was struggling with. It worked better than anything else I had ever really used. And I just got to thinking if this is helping me, this could probably help a lot of other people uh, stateside as well. And then actually in Korea, if you're a cosmetics manufacturer or distributor, you're obligated to print the name of the manufacturer on the back of your package. That is not true in the US actually. And so I, the first thing that I did was I started contacting, contacting these patch manufacturers to see how much it would cost to, um, to buy them from them, how the manufacturing side would work, if they could work with me to develop something that I thought would be suitable for the U.S. market. Uh, so I went to a bunch of pharmacies. I bought up a lot of packages. I looked at the backs of the boxes to see who the manufacturers were, and then I started my outreach. What were, what were some of the biggest surprises when you're reaching out to these manufacturers? I mean, a lot of them didn't return my calls or my emails. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I, and I don't blame them. I mean, I, you know, some like random person contacting them about buying up a bunch of their patches for yep. a business idea that was still very nascent. And so that, I mean, that was a little bit frustrating, but, but there were a few that did reply to me. And then, you know, there was a little bit of a language barrier just because, uh, I mean, I'm Korean American living and I was living in Korea, uh, but my Korean isn't totally fluent. And so uh, a little bit of a language barrier, but, but, you know, I got really lucky because I landed on the manufacturer that we work with today who was more than happy to get my email, was super easy to work with, was very um, open developing relationship. Uh, and that's, you know, that's how partly how we got to where we are today. Uh, from that one cold email, he happened to respond and we've been working together for now three years, over three years. Oh, wow. That, that's really cool. So, and were they open to creating custom packaging? Because I know when I've looked into this space before, it seemed very black and white. Like you can have our packaging or something very expensive, but like, it's still going to be our design. Like how willing were they to have something really custom? They were, they were pretty willing. They were willing to customize design and, and basically customize anything that we really wanted. I mean, it, it, this is their business. They make products for other companies and other brands. And so they were pretty familiar with uh, how that whole process worked. Mm-hmm. And did you end up using kind of like a very similar or exact product of what you got in Korea that you started selling here? Or did you make any updates or changes? 
yeah, I worked with the manufacturer to adjust some things that I thought were really important. So things like the adhesion or the stickiness or the absorption power of the actual patch of the hydrocolloid patch. So there were some customizations that were made for this product because uh, I definitely wanted to create like the perfect acne patch. And that's, you know, that's how we landed on what we have now. That's great. And do you feel like you had a leg up because it looked like you've been working in the world of digital and e-commerce prior to Hero. Were there any, was there anything that you learned from your, you know, past life before Hero that you kind of brought into founding the company? Oh yeah, all the time. I, so my background is I, uh, I actually got my MBA at Columbia Business School. And then I worked in corporate America for a really long time. So I worked at Kraft Foods, American Express. Uh, I worked at Samsung. That's what brought me to Korea. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I still lean on my, on all those experiences. I lean particularly on my um, Kraft Foods experience because that was in brand management where they train you in a certain way of thinking for marketing. So, you know, consumer is always first. They teach you about uh, the retail landscape and, you know, there's a distinction between your consumer and your customer. Uh, they talk about like the brand ladder. Um, there's so many things that I still, I still fall back on and use uh, to this day. And then for some of the other companies, you know, things like processes or just even knowing about email and open rates and how to really digest um analytics like that uh, are things that I still use today. That's great. So I want, I'm going to get a little crash course in craft methodology. So earlier, you just mentioned distinction between consumer and customer. Uh, what do you mean by that? And how do you practice that? Yeah, it's funny because, um, I mean, in my mind, they're very different, but I know sort of in the public, they both get used interchangeably. But the way that a lot of these CPG companies work is they didn't, they existed before a DDC world. So they always sold through a retailer, uh, like a Walmart or a Costco or Target, et cetera. And so those retailers were always referred to as the customer um, mm-hmm. because those were the people that were actually buying your product. And then you would refer to the consumer as the end, kind of the end user of the product. So the person who would inevitably eat your Oreo cookie or use your Clorox cleaning solution. So that is the consumer. And, mm-hmm. and usually the consumer, usually the consumer ended up being, you know, the consumer of the retailer. So it's really not like if you're working at Kraft Foods, the consumer is not technically your consumer. I mean, it is, but by way of the retailer. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that distinction was always very important when I was working there. That's good. All right. So you've got your manufacturer, you've got your product being built. What next? Yeah. Um, so I have two co-founders, um, Dwight and Andy. And then, so I do a lot of the product, the marketing, the PR, um, basically the salesperson. Dwight handles a lot of the supply chain and ops. And then Andy, he does all our design and creative. So mm-hmm. we had gotten together. Uh, we decided the three of us, we were going to do this. We had the product concept. So the next thing was to come up with kind of the, like the brand and the brand, the product name, the brand name. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was really important that we choose a name that was very em- like evoked emotion or something emotive because I felt like acne was a very emotional category. There are a lot of people who f- feel bad about themselves or feel insecure um, when they have acne. And so I wanted a name that was really, I don't know, like instilled confidence or was like a, I don't know, just evoked positive emotion. 
And so that's yep. where we came up with the name Mighty Patch. And, and then we had to design, we had to create designs, design the box, uh, really kind of create the whole brand feel of this product. And then the initial strategy was we were going to sell it on Amazon. So we launched it on Amazon. That was how we were going to distribute it. And then once we had the distribution part, then came the other part, which is how do you sell it? So we had to get people to know about it, uh, buy it, leave us reviews and things like that. Okay, cool. So let's dive a bit into launching on Amazon because I always hear very mixed emotions about selling on Amazon. And I want to hear yeah. your thought process about, you know, starting there first. And did you do research on the platform to kind of see, mm-hmm. you know, what the space was like? Like, what kind of things did you go through before deciding like Amazon's actually a good spot to start? Well, so it's, I mean, we started this business almost like a side hustle. It was a side hustle and uh, we were bootstrapped. You know, we didn't raise money. It was like the most logical place to start because Mm -hmm. you have access to hundreds of millions of buyers. It doesn't take a lot of resources or investment to launch on Amazon. You can take advantage of their backend like warehouses and fulfillment centers to help with the fulfillment part. So for us, like Amazon made so much sense. And And then also, you know, back then it wasn't, we just had a hypothesis and the hypothesis was that if we bring this product category to the US um, turn and position it more as a beauty product, that it could do well. And so for us, the easiest way to test out that hypothesis was on a platform like Amazon. So rather than having to spend all the money to build a website and find a 3PL and, and do things like that, the easiest and quickest way to test out our hypothesis was to put a page on Amazon. You know, We said, let's see if people buy it. If people buy it, then we'll work on phase two, which would be launching uh, a DTC channel. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's such a great way to have that like MVP product, see if it works before investing too heavily into a big website. And yeah, like you said, setting up three PLs. So how did you, like, what kind of hiccups did you experience when you launched on Amazon or started that process? Oh, so one was we actually proved out our product market fit very quickly. um, And we... We actually ran out, we like either, I can't remember, but I think we almost ran out of our in, of inventory or we did run out of inventory. We had like our second order on a boat and it was supposed to be released, but like the timing didn't work out. And so it was really, really tight in terms of uh, inventory planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other issue was we were getting people, we're now brand gated, but before we were brand gated, we were getting people attaching themselves to our listings as we were getting more and more popular. And so... If you know, I mean, I don't know how many people know how Amazon really works, but a lot of times when you have a product page, it's not something that you own uh, unless you're brand gated. It's something that other people, other people can sell that product, leveraging your product page. And then oh, the idea is, yeah, everyone has to win the buy box. And the buy box is when you're on an Amazon product page and you add to cart, the person who's winning the buy box is the first person whose product you would add to your cart. I, none of this, I knew, I mean, I didn't know any of this when we first started. I was like, what? You have to earn the buy box? Yeah, I did. I had no idea. I mean, I see that yeah. from a consumer side where it's like, you have other options, but I never go to those. It's like, whoever's right. first is who I go with. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, it's really smart on Amazon's part because as a seller, you have to earn it either by having really good reviews, like seller reviews, uh, or you have to earn it by having the best price. And so mm-hmm. there are a lot of sellers, well, they'll like, they'll price like a penny cheaper or like five cents cheaper, and then they'll win the buy box, um, which inev- inevitably is a very dangerous game because you can just sort of discount 
this product to zero. So anyways, we, we were getting people attaching themselves to our page, which uh, wasn't good because we wanted to protect our product and our IP and all that. And then the other um, issue that we, we ran into was we started getting counterfeits mixed into our inventory. So I, there was a time where, and I have a photo of it, it's um, like someone had literally ripped off our designs, created like their own version of our box, albeit the designs were not, like you could tell that it was fake. Uh, it wasn't yep. a perfect copy, but somehow it had gotten mixed into our inventory and then that, that fake product was getting shipped out to customers. How's that happen? I mean, was that like on the manufacturer or like how does it get mixed into your inventory? You know, I don't really know, but I think what happens is, um, so they probably attach themselves to our page um, at that time and then won the buy box and then started shipping products to the, you know, started shipping these fake products to uh, these customers. Uh, I think some of them were returns, like people would return them yeah. and then get mixed into our inventory that way. Oh, that's tricky. Yeah, because I've seen that in reviews on Amazon where people be like, oh, this isn't the authentic one. I've been buying yeah. this for five years and now it's right. like a knockoff. And I'm like, well, how's that happen? But I mean, yeah. I guess I just didn't understand how that could happen where I'm like, well, the brand wouldn't have a knockoff. But yet now knowing how the buy box works and yeah, that, that can be really tricky. So how did you like get those people off your page when they started attaching themselves to your page? Like, what did you do to rise above them? Yeah. So there's something that you can do on Amazon called brand gating. Um, and you have to prove that you own like the IP or the trademark to your uh, brand, to your brand name. So you, you know, you present them, you submit uh, all the evidence and then they will brand gate you, which means that you are sort of no longer a public page where people can attach themselves to your page. Mm -hmm. You and only you can moderate or edit or um, sell on your page. And so that's what we did. And then that's, and then since we've done that, it hasn't been a problem. Okay. Well, that's a really good lesson for anyone new trying to start out on Amazon, that that is a possibility. Very good to know. So what's changed on Amazon since you launched there, launched there in 2017, what kind of things have changed? Well, the, our category now has just exploded. Um, and yes. it's funny because, yeah, in September, when we launched in September 2017, we, it was us and maybe like one or two other products when you looked up acne patches. But now when you search for acne patches, I mean, there are like pages and pages and pages of acne patches that show up in the search results. And so for sure, competition... Seller, yeah, I'm we looking. are the bestseller. Yeah, we're the bestseller. <laughs> we have the bestseller badge. Um, yeah. But yeah, how did you get in, that? Just from actually being a bestseller, or was there anything else behind oh the scenes that helped get that? <laughs> Sorry, I'm taking it way off course by looking at the Amazon page now. Yeah, so it's like a three pronged strategy. One is you need to support your your product and your page within the Amazon paid media ecosystem. So you need okay. to run your sponsored, you know, sponsored product uh, ads. So there's a whole advertising strategy. The other is you have to optimize your organic content. So um, your product titles, your page titles, your descriptions have the right keywords, A plus content, video content, images. So that's that's the second strategy. And then the third part is kind of building your outside ecosystem. So, you know, having press point to your Amazon page or having mm -hmm. influencers talk about your product being available on Amazon uh, and just sort of, you know, building your brand halo. It, you have to be relentless. It definitely takes time. Uh, mm -hmm. It took us about a year to get the bestsellers badge um, from the moment where we really started going after it. Yeah. So 
let's talk a bit more about, you know, the competitive space, because like you said, beauty is very competitive. So many people are launching products. Like, what do you all do to stay ahead um, from your competition? Well, we look at our messaging a lot. We always want to be sort of one step ahead in terms of how we message our products, why we're better, really talking about our differentiation. Um, We're also really evolving in terms of product portfolio. So we're best known for our patches. Obviously, that's, you know, one of our, it is our bestseller on Amazon and elsewhere. But since then, we've launched a lot of other products, uh, like we have Rescue Balm and then Lightning Wand, and then we're coming out with a bunch of other things next year uh, to really build kind of a routine and regimen uh, for acne. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I get the question a lot, like, oh, um, you know, why is your patch different from others? Like, tell me about the patch. Like, they just want to know about the patch. But yep. part of my job these days is really telling people that we're about much more than just the patch. We're really an acne brand. And so that tactic is something that um, is also differentiated from a lot of other competitors out there who may only have like a single patch product. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great because it shows that you're really invested in that whole market and are always finding new products to offer to your customers, which is only going to help. Like, how do you go about developing those new new products and know what your customers want? It's a mix of art and science. It's some of it comes from, we have a great PD team, product development team. Mm-hmm. And part of it comes from sort of research where we're always looking, you know, looking and reading at trends and we're trying to react to white space that we see uh, in the market. Part of it also just comes from our collective acne issues. Like, you know, sometimes um, I'll break out and I'll say, oh, you know, I really wish I had a product that did this. Why does it exist? And then I'll talk to our pro- product development team and then, you know, we'll create something that addresses that issue. Some of it also comes from research that we do with our customers, our, our consumers, <laughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, where yep. we'll ask them, what are you looking for? You know, what else do you want to see from us? Uh, what other types of acne issues do you have that we could solve? So it's a little bit of like intuition uh, comes from our own experiences. Some of it comes from data. There's no like perfect recipe, I guess, for coming up with new products. Yeah, cool. So let's shift over a little bit into more wholesale deals and getting in retail because I saw some of the retail locations that you're in, like Madewell and Target and J. Crew, very impressive. And so I'm sure everyone's like, well, how did you get in those retail locations? Okay. So we launched on Amazon September 2017. I immediately started pitching retailers uh, our product. And mm-hmm. then Anthropology was actually the first one to take us in January of 2018. And they took us wow, as a that's quick. Yeah, it was really, it was really quick, which again, for me, uh, it just affirmed the idea that, you know, there was a need in the market for this type of product. Who did you pitch and what what was your pitch? Tell us the magic. It was really like just a cold pitch email telling them what the product was, you know, what it does, why it's great, uh, included a picture in the email. So they had a visual, uh, really just used concise bullet points. And I mean, that was kind of it. I didn't, I didn't attach a deck or anything like that. And did you have any data that you included that maybe won them over? Uh, you know what? I think I had talked about how... So back then, K-Beauty was really hot. And I think mm-hmm. I talked to them. I think I had mentioned that acne patches were really popular in Korea and that there was a Korean brand that was quite popular. And so I, that I wanted to bring uh, a, like an American version of that product to the US. So in a way that like, you know, buyers are usually trend seekers, like they, they pay a lot of 
attention, a lot of attention to uh, the trends of their category. Mm-hmm. So I think she knew that um, acne patches were kind of a developing and emerging trend. Um, and I just sort of pushed on that. That's great. So you got anthropology as your first retail partner. Was it easier to get the rest after you could point to anthropology be like, see, we're in here? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely validation gives you street cred. Um, but you know, I think in 2018, we, we launched at a lot of specialty retailers and I credit that to, like, I'm a big believer in if you build the demand, the retailers will come. And so Mm -hmm. once I started our PR push and we were mentioned in into the gloss and business insider and Buzzfeed, I actually started getting quite a bit of inbound requests from buyers. So I remember like American Eagle was an inbound, J. Crew, I believe, was an inbound, Neiman Marcus was an inbound. So as, as we started getting more press uh, and becoming more known on you know Instagram and things like that, I actually started getting pitched from these buyers. They would email me and say, Hey, I heard about your product. I really want to try it. Can you send me some samples? And so, so yeah, so that was sort of specialty retail. That's awesome. So how did you get this press? to get in front of them? Like what kind of avenues um, were they finding you on? Like, were they finding you from Instagram or was it actually in these articles that were somehow ending, you know, ending up on their computer screen? Like Mm -hmm. how did that work? So there's a service that I used called Launch Grow Joy. I, I recommend them to to like every entrepreneur that I talk to because it's sort of like DIY PR. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you pay like a monthly or yearly fee, you log into their system and then they give you access to all these editors that are looking for content or products to talk about in their next article. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So I did all the pitching uh, early on and, and yeah, like I uh, had mentioned before the, what, the first article that we really got was in into the gloss. And immediately after that article went up, I, I think I got like two or three inbound emails from retailers saying, Oh, you know, I just read about your product. I really want to try it. And so I think if you know what the buyer's, read like usually you know depending on your category they read certain things to know what the trends are and to know what's like new Mm -hmm. so for beauty into the gloss is it's a publication that a lot of people read and so so i i just got really lucky i think with that with that first article uh and then just started pitching other beauty related publications and then sort of built on from there that's really great so what kind of now you're in many retail locations at that point, like what kind of lessons did you learn that maybe you took to every new retail partner you got? That's a good question. I think packaging is really, really important. I think that's what initially, I think we stood out because our packaging was very colorful and it was very bright. And then it was pretty clear what the product did uh, on the packaging. And so for me, like anytime we make a packaging change, I... I always run it by our buyers. So when we launch new products and we're looking at a different color scheme or something like that, I'll always send it to our buyers to get quick feedback because they'll know if it'll do well or won't do well. So that's a big one. Do you change packaging based on different retail locations where, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. connects with anthropology might be very different than Target? No, we don't. No, we don't. But we'll do maybe maybe we'll do different pack sizes, but we won't really change the design. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah, I think that's a big one. I mean, I've learned that working and staying close with the buyer is really important because they they'll have a lot of input into your innovation, too. Because because sometimes like they're looking for a certain type of product and then uh, they'll come to you and they'll be like, oh, we'd love if you know, we'd love it if you made X, Y, Z product. And so I try to stay close with the buyers. 
uh, on innovation pipeline. I think it's really important to hold price. Mm-hmm. We started selling on Amazon. And then I actually was very worried in the beginning that no one would take us because we were on Amazon. Yep. Because to your point, a lot of people have this love-hate relationship with Amazon. But actually what I found was that no one had a problem with it because we're 3P on Amazon. So we sell on their marketplace. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we control the price. Yep. And because we could control the price, a lot of other retailers were okay with it. And in fact, they kind of they kind of see Amazon's success as validation that it will probably do well at their store as well. That makes sense. Very cool. So now with where the world's at today and a lot of retail locations, you know, declaring bankruptcy, like what are you guys experiencing right now and what's your um, go forward strategy? Uh, yeah, this year has been an interesting year. Uh, we're luckily one of those businesses that actually benefited from COVID in a way. Yep. Um, and really two reasons. I think one reason is our distribution strategy. So the biggest channels that we sell in, which are D2C, Amazon, and Target, are they were always online or they never, or to say it another way, they never had to close this year because like Target was considered an essential retailer, Amazon they're online and then D2C is online. And so luckily, you know, we weren't a company that depended heavily on a retailer that did have to close. So that, so we saw mm-hmm. a minimal impact. And then in fact, like as, you know, these essential retailers, they get stronger, our business actually just gets stronger as well. And then the other issue is that, you know, since we all have to wear masks, uh, the masks cause acne. And uh, there's a term that people use, it's called maskne. And so I've not heard of that, but I believe oh, it. Oh, have you not? Yeah, it's <laughs> uh-huh. called maskne. And oh it's gosh. caused by either like the friction. So when you wear the mask, sometimes it rubs on your face and it causes friction and then that'll cause you to break out. Or okay. um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, when I have the mask on, it, it creates humidity when you talk. Like when you talk and when you breathe, it creates humidity and that humidity gets trapped and creates bacteria, which causes you to break out. And so yep. uh, we've seen a lot of people suffer from masne, uh looking for a solution, and then they end up finding our products in our, uh, in our company. And so that's another reason why we've kind of actually benefited from COVID in a way. Oh, that's good. So are you going after the mask knee keyword <laughs> or any other yeah, keywords yeah. that are oh. up and coming? <laughs> yeah, actually, when I first heard about uh, masne, I don't know, maybe it was like April, like May or something like that. I I'm immediately- still behind. Uh, yeah, yeah. I immediately told my team, and I, I said, "Hey, we need to double down on this on this word. Let's write a blog post. Let's you know do social content. We need to own Masni. Um, I think we were the first ones probably to come up with like content around Masni and to do to even create a bundle on our website for Masni. And then since then, I've seen some other people do that. But yeah, I I saw that as definitely an opportunity for us. Yeah, that that's really good. So I want to move over into the mentorship category now, because I saw that you have Jamie Schmidt as your mentor and she created Schmidt's and she started in a farmer's market and then ended up selling it to Unilever. So amazing mentor. I want to hear, I want to learn a bit about the types of things that she's guiding you on or the most memorable uh, pieces of advice that she's given you. Oh gosh. Um, She helps me a lot with distribution because she also obviously had uh, built and sold a company that's similar in terms of distribution strategy. Like they weren't just D2C. They also sold that big box retail and had a, you know, a pretty extensive distribution 
they had extensive distribution. I mean, I remember when we did a mentoring session for Inc. Magazine, one of the questions I asked her was around like succeeding at Target and how to, how to do that, how to ensure success. Um, because it's a really important relationship. You want to make sure you get it right. You don't really have a second chance. So she gave gave a lot of really good advice and tips on that and, and also how they support it. And I remember her saying that um, they ran a lot of geo-targeted ads in some of the top like 50 or 100 stores to drive traffic to, to the target stores. Um, so that was a really good idea. Oh, that's great. And even even now, I you know I had recently sent her an email about sort of international distribution because I know they have quite a few international distributor partner partners. Um, how to navigate those relationships? Uh, what those relationships should look like? And so, and then you know, people should definitely follow her on Twitter. She gives a lot of really good advice on Twitter for free. Yep. Uh, I'm always following what she tweets. Yeah, yeah, she's very smart. I follow her as well. So. What kind of thoughts did you have around expanding internationally? And are you working towards doing that or are you already international? We're kind of, uh, kind of international. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we sell um, on Amazon Canada. We sell at Liberty London in the UK. Uh, it hasn't been a big push for us just because the US market alone is so big and then we already have so much work. Um, but it's definitely something we have our eyes set on just because for us, you know, acne, we want to make our products available for anyone who has acne. I think it is a, you know, they are, they really do help people who break out. And so, you know, that's obviously not just limited to the U S it's, it's really a global problem. Anyone who breaks out should be able to access our products. And so it is, yeah, it's in the strategy for sure. I think it's a matter of sort of prioritizing it when we have the time. Cool. and. By taking a product that you found in Korea and bringing it back here, it seems like there'd be a lot of room to go other places and be like, oh, and here's another product I can bring to the U.S. and another one. Like, do you ever get tempted when you travel or were traveling oh, to yeah. find other products and be like, this worked once. Why wouldn't I just launch more things on Amazon? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I haven't had a product idea yet, but living in Paris, I do see things here where I'm like, oh, wow, I wish I could, you know, introduce this to the U.S. Mm-hmm. I think it could do really well. What are some things in Paris doing well? Or Unless you don't want people to steal your idea because we have many <laughs> listeners who might. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say uh, I have, there's a retail idea. Uh, there's a retail chain that does quite well here and that doesn't exist in the U.S. And again, it was sort of the same thing. of like, why doesn't it exist in the U.S.? I think it could do really well. And I think you're right. I think, you know, that's like one of the great things about traveling is you get to uh, really explore and learn a different culture and discover different products or different services that could be adaptable to a different country, a uh, different market. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have, yeah, I, I kind of have two ideas that are kind of like that already. All right. So I want to move into a couple more like higher level e-commerce questions because you've been in the industry for a while I want to hear what kind of trends or patterns are you most excited about right now? I think there's a lot of cool stuff in food that's happening. Mm-hmm. Like for me personally, I'm really interested in the environment and sustainability. And I see a lot of cool ideas around uh, like local delivery. So local delivery by bike. Um, mm-hmm. So it's zero emission, right? And, you know, it still gets, it gets a product from point A to point B. Uh, it is a lot more sustainable. Um, I think that's really interesting. 
Uh, I think food, again, yeah, is also interesting. And especially with COVID in this year and how I think the uptake with buying food online has probably skyrocketed. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who weren't used to doing their groceries online. Uh, So I'm really curious to see like innovation that comes out with food. Also very interested in sort of this marketplace concept that I see coming up and popping up. There's a new uh, marketplace called Vertical. Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading about that this morning. Yeah. Right. So it's sort of like a D2C, I guess it's like a D2C marketplace or so marketplace for D2C brands, almost like an online mall, which I think sounds really interesting as well. Um, So I don't know. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff going going on. I think, yeah, e-com is going to be it because uh, we've seen the adoption just really increase in penetration over the past like eight months, I guess. Yeah, I'm curious to see what the innovation is going to be like, but there's a lot of, I already see a ton of ideas happening at the moment. Yep. Awesome. All right. Let's move over to the lightning round brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Ju? I'm ready. All right. So what's up next on your Netflix queue other than Emily in Paris, obviously? Oh, I'm watching The Crown, (laughs) the newest season. Is it good? Someone just said that yesterday. Oh, yeah, because it's all about Princess Diana and, and, um, mm-hmm. and Prince Charles. So, yes, it's it's good. Awesome. Where are you traveling to next when you're able to travel again? I really want to go to Korea, actually. Yeah, I want to go yeah. to Seoul. Find some more trends. <laughs> yeah, find more trends. I want to, you know, see my relatives. I want to meet my vendors. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would really like to go there. Fun. What do you not understand today that you wish you did? I wish I could understand TikTok better. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys yeah. use TikTok? Oh, we're uh, very heavy on TikTok. It's one of mm-hmm. um, our most important social channels. But uh, I just, I don't know. I find it so time intensive to like make the videos and create the content yep. and stuff. But, um, but I mean, there are some people who are amazing at it. Mm-hmm. So what kind of, um, what are your best performing videos on TikTok? Oh, the um, peeling off the patch uh, that video. Yeah. Because it, it's like kind of like a doctor, doctor pimple popper moment. Um, it's kind of gross, but satisfying. (laughs) And those videos, I mean, those videos will get like millions of views in like 48 hours. I had a feeling that was going to be what it was. I get advertised those videos all the time. I don't know what I clicked on at one point in my life, but I get all that advertised to me on Facebook and wherever I'm at, they need to stop following me. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, if you were to have a podcast, what would it be about? And who would your first guest be? Ooh, that's a good question because I actually thought about having a podcast. I would have a podcast around entrepreneurship. I don't know exactly how it would be different from other topics, but something around probably entrepreneurship, maybe how people made their first million million dollars or something like that. And then my first guest would probably be Jamie Schmidt. There you go. That, and you already have that connection. Sounds like a hit to me. All right. <laughs> and the last one, we talked a little bit about trends or patterns you're excited about. This is a little bit different. What one thing do you think is going to have the biggest impact on e-commerce within the next year? Well, I mean, I guess the pandemic has already had its impact. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think probably this big sustainability push is, I don't, I, I don't know if it'll be in the next year, but I think we will start to see it impacting e-com in a significant way, uh, packaging mm-hmm. in, you know, your carbon footprint. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it in the next year for sure. Very cool. 
All right, you. Well, this has been a really fun interview. I love talking about how you launched on Amazon and how to get into retail. I feel like there's a lot to learn. Where can people find out more about you and Hero Cosmetics? You can find more about Hero Cosmetics either on Instagram. The handle is Hero Cosmetics. Website, herocosmetics.com. And then for me, um, you can find me on Twitter. It's just my first name, last name, uh, J-U-R-H-Y-U. And then same handle on Instagram. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me. That was really fun. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.